0: back to Classroom Brew. This is episode 22. If you haven't already, please make sure that you rate and review. Also check us out on social media at Classroom Brew. We also have a hashtag, but make sure you are also spreading the word. That's the biggest part, so our podcast keeps growing. This week, I actually have my department head, Mary, on. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for being on.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ryan.
0: One of the things that we were talking about uh, before we actually started recording is, so you actually, you moved around quite a bit. You were in like Hawaii and Georgia and things like that. But you were saying teaching, you've been in teaching for a while, but it was not your first career. So what kind of led you into this career that you're in now?
1: Well, necessity, (laughs) I would say was a big part of it because, uh, I needed a job. I was, um, I had always intended to teach. I liked teaching. I was in undergrad, um, I was an American Studies major in, in Hawaii. And a uh, part of what we had to do kind of as a junior and senior seminar was lead freshman seminars. Okay. So we would uh, read novels and interpret them historically.
0: So like a TA ship? Basically? Kind
1: of like that. Okay. Yes, yes.
0: And you left beautiful Hawaii. I know. For Chicago winters and traffic. No, no. And-
1: I left beautiful Hawaii and went to... Atlanta. Oh,
0: that's that's right, Georgia, and then it.
1: Because that I got a uh, scholarship at Emory and okay. um, out of Hawaii. I did come back to Chicago for about six months. I did a little delay, which was probably not a wise thing to do, <laughs> because when I was applying for graduate schools, um, that limited my scholarship opportunities. Because I really just wanted to take some time oh, okay. off, and because um, I worked pretty hard when I was in Hawaii. And, like, Ann Arbor wouldn't offer me money right away because I was going to come in for a half year. You
0: don't want to go to Michigan anyway. <laughs> I guess not.
1: But, you know, it would have been kind of cool to go to Ann Arbor, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, there were a couple other places that I applied for that uh, might have given me a graduate residency, but I didn't go. Anyway, so, yeah, I'd done a little bit of teaching undergrad and liked it. When I went to uh, Atlanta... I did a number of graduate assistantships and those usually involved teaching. Okay. One I think was um research. I worked for uh I worked for this woman, she was an English um in, uh, professor working on her tenure and uh she had me doing a whole bunch of research for her. And she was a little crazy, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um she did religious studies, women's lit, African American literature um and you know i'm sure it was a tough road for her i didn't understand the racial politics of course at all back then this was in the early 80s but you know she really had to try to carve out a space for herself sure and her brand of scholarship wasn't necessarily recognized by emory which was kind of stodgy at the time and certainly not in the emory english department which was Pretty male-dominated. So was the history. Anyway, um, I, did, I did a couple uh, assistantships, liked teaching, thought it, I was kind of a natural at it. And, um, but then uh, my work, while I was working on my dissertation, I started working because I had to um, provide for myself. Because when you're in graduate school, you get paid a stipend while you're in coursework. But then as soon as you're finished with coursework, um, the stipends dry up. And then sure. you have to finish whatever you're working on. And it took me 10 years from start to finish to get the PhD. And so for six years, I was on my own, um, researching, going to archives, and working. Uh. And I worked part-time for a while, waiting tables, Um at this place, right across the street from Emory campus, called Everybody's Pizza, and anybody yeah. who listens to this and knows Atlanta would know everybody's pizza. <laughs> it's now out of business, unfortunately, oh. it's very sad. It was quite an institution in Atlanta. Um, I worked there probably for um, six years while I was in graduate school.
0: That's right, because we were we were talking about how I could probably never be a server, and you were like, "But you got into teaching?" So it's probably there are a lot of skills now that I think about it
1: absolutely well the the uh, you know you talk up when you're a server you're trying to get people to buy more things yeah um, you have to engage with your clients very much so but it is it's different I couldn't handle it
0: I would be like oh my god you don't need more fucking ketchup like just, <laughs> just stop complaining <laughs> I would forget their orders I would be screwed
1: I loved waiting tables. I loved loved the challenge of having to do all that multitasking. I mean, Mm. you really have to be thinking about a lot of different things. And actually, that translates really well to teaching, if you think about it. Yeah, definitely All the ways that you have to respond. And when you teach, especially with kids like we teach, you have to be Johnny on the spot with uh, responses. You have to be able to adapt to whatever... They're doing or not doing. Yeah, you have to be able to change your lesson plan there right then because it's not working, and you need to move forward. Yeah, but I did do public history for quite a while. I National Park Service. Yeah,
0: that's right. You were looking. You were, you were mapping stuff too, right? For,
1: yeah, uh... yeah. We did a little bit of GIS. Um, first, I started working for the State Historic Preservation Office, and I did National Register compliance. Okay. I did that part time for probably three years or so
0: worthwhile did you like it
1: i liked the people i worked with it was a lot of paperwork uh i didn't i didn't get out in the field much in that position and there were a lot of bureaucrats there but i ended up working for this one woman she was really great and she was the one who helped me get my next full-time job which was with the uh, georgia department of transportation which is really weird when you think about it that i i went there because they build roads and Their primary purpose was to pave Georgia with concrete or asphalt as much as they could. Our job there was uh, compliance to make sure that the transportation agency was accounting for historic structures or the natural environment. So I worked with a bunch of um, biologists and historians or would-be historians um, doing compliance. We were the good guys in the whole um, you know, paving Georgia scenario. Right.
0: We do that stuff too, compliance work.
1: Well, that's <laughs> true. I know, I know. Uh except ours is a moving target back yeah. then we knew, you know, we knew what the rules were this. Granted, we always had to convince the engineers to do the right thing and this was a very male driven, engineering driven kind of culture. I was there for three years probably, and I liked it. Uh, I met some really great friends there, people who um, they were a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun mm. at that job. Then I went from there to National Park Service, which was more a- in my ilk. That's what I wanted to do. And there I got to travel the southeast. I went to tons of national parks. Uh, we did what was called the National um, Park. Uh, Oh, Jesus, what was it called? The List of Classified Structures. So all these structures that were in the national parks that were historic or had to be maintained within the parks, we went out and determined whether they were National Register eligible and then had to build backstory for them.
0: What's the criteria for that then?
1: Uh, There's a lot. of There's a a big book about it. Mm -hmm. Um, The National Register of Historic Places, which is run by the National Park Service, it has uh, criteria, it's been a long time since I've done that work, so I couldn't off the top of my head <laughs> tell you. Although if I were to look at something, it would come right back. Sure. Um, it has to be at least 50 years old. It has to be in some um, semblance of its original condition. It has to have a context. It has to have been important in some way, either connected to an individual or a um some historical event and so in the parks what we were discovering primarily was um the built the st- structures built by the ccc um that had not been documented at all and there were tons of them the roads the bridges the um park facilities themselves that kind of stuff um, yeah. that was fun and then yeah. and then uh any of the wartime civil war revolutionary war Those weren't documented, or they weren't? Some uh were, but sometimes not too well. Um, Uh
0: Well, yeah. Or
1: documented in a weird way. Like, there was a, um, this was in North Carolina, Kings Mountain, um, which was a Revolutionary War site. And it had, the battle site itself was on a mountain. And it had been an ambush site where... Uh, American patriots ambushed this Scottish red- regiment. The whole place had been paved over with asphalt trails that's, that snaked among these little monuments. So the whole thing had been all these little monuments. And um, and then there was this, this grave site, a supposed grave site of one of the uh, leaders of the British um, force, Mm-hmm. That had died on the scene, and they'd buried him there. And it was and it was a c- a cairn, a uh, stone mound.
0: Well, that's your context then,
1: right? That's the context. And uh, mm-hmm. but then we had to document it in this memorialization kind of context. We had to create this context because more and more of the parks started to become memorials. Like if you go to any of the Civil War parks, the big ones, like Gettysburg, for example, you've got the battlefield itself. And all of the the vistas and the roads and the hedgerows and the fences all that stuff has to be recreated hmm. but then there's also all the memorialization that went on every regiment, every group that fought there erected a statue to the fallen, and sure. so they're all over the place yeah and uh so s- to make sense of it all super interesting, yeah, but you have to you have to develop that context like what were these memorials about? Mm-hmm. What groups were they associated with? Um, the GAR, the Grand Army of the Republic, which you know ultimately becomes kind of the stronghold of the Republican Party. Grant, for example, was a member of the GAR, and Harrison, They're all these subsequent uh, 19th century presidents were linked to the GAR, and the GAR mm. b- takes on this huge role. Yeah, It's it, pretty interesting work. Anyway, okay. I went from public history... Uh, which I really liked in Atlanta. And then I came here, and there was nothing <laughs> like that here. Uh, Chicago didn't have it. And part of the reason Chicago didn't have it is because Chicago was not the epicenter of the state. Springfield is the epicenter of the
0: state. <laughs> it's just funny when you think about it now.
1: Because Springfield is a nowhere's town. Yeah. I mean, if you go there, it's. Who would want to live there? Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> it's funny, too, because Barb actually, she was a a lawyer in Springfield for like 25 years or something like yeah. that. And she was like, oh, I don't want it. Yeah, that's exactly it.
1: My husband and family, we went down there to visit just to go to, to the Lincoln sites and um, to uh, go to New Salem, uh, just, you know, to see what Springfield had to offer. Yeah. Oh, and to go to the new museum because they had the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Museum mm-hmm. down there, and it had just opened. So we were interested in going. We stayed in this complete crap hotel, and yet it was the hotel to stay in. Okay, I can't even remember rates. what the name of it is. It was like Crown something, and it was horrible. <laughs> and Springfield rose up its its sidewalks after six o'clock at night. You know, if you're downtown, mm-hmm. there is nothing to do. There's no place to go eat. There might be one or two taverns, but you can't take little kids to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we just had to go back to our hotel room and go to some, you know, chilies or something in the Strip.
0: <laughs> Sounds like if you ever been to Dixon, Illinois. Yeah, where it's the boyhood home of Ronald, Ronald Reagan? Reagan. That's yeah. all there is there. Not, not to insult Dixon, but there, there wasn't a whole lot. Well,
1: of there. course, I mean, but that's you expect that Springfield is yeah, the seat true. of it's... our government. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, there's there's a lot going on in D.C., but intellectually you know, there isn't a whole lot going on right now. Yeah, there. I know.
1: <laughs> D.C. is full of cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, I took the kids there, and we did the battlefield tours, and they mm. were just thrilled. Yeah. I mean, we went out and saw a bunch of them that I had seen as – I mean, the thing that got me interested in history was going to the Civil War battlefield sites when I was like in the sixth grade uh-huh. and seeing Gettysburg. And hearing the stories about it, you know, going to the, to the, um, what was it called, the, the Cyclorama, where they had the the uh, 360 or the, maybe it wasn't quite 360, 260 um, <laughs> stage, and they tell you the whole battle and it goes through it. Have you ever been there?
0: No, have, have you been in uh, Cantigny, though, or Cantigny, as people say? no. Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. No, no, I haven't been no, there. No, I
1: haven't been though. there. Okay. Okay. Uh, Gettysburg is quite a, um, well, they built a whole new visitor center and their interpretive exhibits are yeah, I fantastic.
0: I just, I always think of the scene with Denzel and remember the Titans when he's at Gettysburg and it's all about, if we don't come together here, have you seen that movie? It's about the, the school. I have, I've
1: seen it like many times, I don't remember that scene. Oh yeah,
0: it's a great scene. It's like he wakes them up at like two in the morning to go on a run and they run for like three or four hours until the sun comes up and he takes them to the Battle of Gettysburg. Oh, okay. I just, I love Denzel. He's, yeah, I know. He's cool. (laughs) (laughs) He is cool. So, without like getting into like the name of it or anything, do you think our school building should be preserved?
1: Oh, definitely. Because it's built by a prominent architect. Mm. Who's Um, the,
0: I didn't know that. I just know
1: it's Perkins, Dwight Perkins built our building. And it's a twin of another school's building that is the same as our school. Um, I've never even been there. It's gorgeous. Uh, our building is gorgeous but completely run down, been neglected. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I would like to see, like, one of the things I used to do was architectural history. I used to write National Register nominations, so I knew a lot about architectural history. And I think it's a neoclassical or a Beaux-Arts um, building. I'd have to take a look at it. But uh, in the middle of, you know, some of the worst parts of Englewood, I mean it's terrible. Everything around it is bombed out. Yeah. It's really bad.
0: Well they're building that new school. Uh and in Ingo- they they tore down and closed a few over there. Supposedly, gonna... Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: they haven't done it yet. They're closing <laughs> them this year. Yeah, they're promising that new a new uh campus. But anyway, so they did multi million dollar restoration of that place, including the pool. Um and it's a nice school. And I think it, it runs well when you have new facilities, and, well, again, selective enrollment. You know, if you can select your kids, you're more likely to have a successful school than yeah. if you can't.
0: We'll, we'll kind of get to where I'm going with this, but okay. is it worth, in terms of a CPS school, do they actually have the funding to maintain and to really, because if they want to turn our school around like we're trying to academically, you kind of have to start with the building at some point. But, I mean, is that going to be, Cost-effective or realistic for them, especially because it's built for what two thousand students, but we have
1: three two eighty or yeah. something like that. Yeah,
0: because that was that was the fear, because there's a charter not too close by. Like we have to keep it because they don't want the charter to move in and all that. But
1: charter's right there. Yeah, it's already in the building.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it was. I the mean, there's annex. just a wall between us. Yeah, well, a door, <laughs> not even a wall. A
1: little hallway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know, that's a really loaded question, and that that goes to, what is their plan for community schools? I don't think that they're transparent at all. This all started with Paul Vallis and, you know, Renaissance 2010, this whole big plan to um, transform Chicago Public Schools, and uh, they were going to They promised they were going to close low-performing schools or schools that did not meet the expectations. And so that's where it started. Um, They instituted uh, local school councils, the LSCs, where uh, parents and community members are supposed to have more control over principals and the running of schools.
0: I think, aren't you on one of the LSCs?
1: I just recently joined our LSC. Yeah. Okay, I haven't gone to a meeting yet. Um, I just promised, you know, our booster, that I'd go, Mister. Um,
0: oh, is that Soul Patch?
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh,
0: slide slide right Slideshow there. Man. Yes. I talked about Slideshow Man on a previous episode. Did you? Well, he's like, when he came to us. At, Freaking uh, insistent,
1: isn't he? I know. Yeah, he's got. It's, it's relentless. Of... But, you know, I mean, that's what makes him effective. Is, yeah, yeah. He's relentless. Well, he, do you he remember? Wears when you he wears you down. It's like the water, water torture <laughs> method. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> well, do you remember when he's like, look at this slideshow that I made. I want you guys to make one. And I was like, I don't. Want to watch your 126?
1: I looked at it. It wasn't so bad, actually. That's good. It was easy to figure out what you could use and what was unusable. Sure. Um, Just by looking at it quickly. I I went over it on the break. That's what I promised him I'd do. And I said, oh, there's probably about maybe 50 slides in there we'd want to use. But, you know, if you want to use this as a recruitment tool, you need to make it more current. Mm. Like, who does serve? and who do we want to serve, it was way too much historical. You know, it was all about yeah, what up. was during the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, which was white and ethnic and, you know, created somebody like John. Because <sighs> he's a graduate, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, I did not. Hmm. Yeah, and we're going to get into that pretty soon. I know. So that'll be my
1: connection. Yeah, I haven't done my, um, my mikvah grant yet. Oh, yeah. I got to just... write that. It's, it's just, due soon, I'm sure. Like in the next week or so. Mine
0: was just a Google doc and it was a formality. Yeah. Which is good. But
1: I think that's all I have to do too, but yeah. anyway, okay. So um what were we talking
0: about? Uh we oh, uh building stuff. See I do this all the time too. Even when it's just me on an episode, like no guest, I get off task, and then <laughs> I forget.
1: That's funny.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, you should hear some of them. They, they get tangential when it's just me, <laughs> sure. especially when I've had like a corona or two. Oh,
1: it's so simple to yeah.
0: There was one time where I literally just said, I'm going to scrap this half hour of audio because it doesn't even make sense.
1: Yeah, it's no good. It's happened. Right.
0: <laughs> but um, I got oh, approached. Oh, the
1: building. You were talking about the building. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I got approached by our principal. And so I, I asked, but uh, I asked her about repainting the room because I, I love my room. It's the perfect size. I use the space well. But the walls are kind of crumbling and they look gross in certain points. And she okayed me for getting paint, do a couple of accent walls, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Most of the walls aren't that bad. But she came up to me and talked to me about active classroom stuff. And initially she said it and I was like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about in my head. I didn't say that to our boss, but (laughs) uh, she was talking about there's these alternative forms of seating. And my mind went initially to like couches and stuff. And I said, hell no, Mm -hmm. they would wind up torn up. But there's actually this company, it's called like Steelcase. There's also a, a Brown or Smith system or something like that, where there's like all these deferring height tables and stuff like that with chairs on wheels. There's also those no desks. So they have like an adjustable desk attached and a storage area under it. But it's, it's all one seat. Yeah. And it makes me nervous because I don't know if they're going to hold up. And I looked at it, the invoice on those things, even if you take out like the fancy screens and all that, it's like 15 to $30,000 for all of that.
1: Have you asked her what her motive is behind this? What was she hoping to accomplish by instituting this? And I'm
0: not even sure why she came to me as a first year teacher saying, "Hey, I want to do this in your room." Well, except I, like,
1: that you're more gonna be more flexible.
0: Yeah, part of it it works for me because I do a lot of group work and anyway. moving around the room and stations and stuff, so the kids aren't used to sitting in their desk the whole time. But I was like, "Why?" I, I, but I'm not sure because I'm going to meet with her on Monday. I was going to meet with her on Friday, but then we had the snow day, right. which was awesome. But I don't know; it was really weirded out. But it it kind of worries me too. And you were saying this too because some of our kids are so squirrely.
1: I think that's the real conundrum um, with the kind of school that we work in is that we have some students that that would be meaningful. That kind of a change would be meaningful, and it would be it would reflect more what we'd like to see our students have and be right. able to engage in. But at the same time, we have elements in the school who would destroy it and can't yeah. mind it. And it would, it would require, uh, I think, on your part, a lot of maintaining. Mm-hmm. It's like even the crow books, you know, having those those. Those are only as meaningful and useful as us maintaining them. Yeah. Um, and the, like they disappear on a regular basis and they do because ye, if you're not vigilant and paying attention. I don't think any,
0: all of ours are accounted for though. So that's good, right?
1: Yes, I know. But it's <laughs> vigilance. It's keeping yeah. up with it. Um, and it's having those systems in place. Like I think of, I taught at, um, a summer cause I was laid off for a year and, um, I had been the head of my department, but I had the least seniority among all the people who I worked with, so I was the first one to get laid off. Yeah. And then, given my credentials and the state of CPS and the fact that I'm in social studies, which is, like, the least desirable subject matter <laughs> to be it's a in. It's dime
0: a dozen for us.
1: Supposedly, yeah. right. A gym teacher could do it, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> or at least that's the way it used to be. Um I had trouble finding any kind of work, so mm. for a year I was off and t- subbing and just doing different kinds of work. You subbed? I did sub for a while in the I city. Yeah. Oh I subbed at the my god. Oh god! But I couldn't take it. I couldn't take yeah. it because, as a sub, that. you know how subs are treated. Yeah. Oh god. And I, I tried to teach, and
0: they don't want that.
1: No, they didn't want you that. Probably have all.
0: half the kids in that room aren't even on the roster.
1: Even the even the administration didn't want that. Like. Hmm. There was this assistant principal who was working there, may may still be working there, who uh, came into the room and like, oh, I'm going to take these six kids. I'm like, they have an assignment to do. What are you doing? Oh well, you know, they got to help me do. So the, we have, the that, we have that now, by the way, with the student jobs. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> right. the 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 administration was of a mindset that a sub wasn't worth paying any attention to, and so I was like, oh, I got, it. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So I went and found another work, but in the summer. I worked at, which was really eye-opening, to go out to the Burbs, fairly affluent suburb, uh, but also increasingly racially diverse. Um, That's good. Yes, yes, it is. And to see what it was like to teach uh, kids out there. It's a whole different ballgame. It was really different. (laughs) Um, I mean, I tried a bunch of different methods, like doing group work and having them, and they were kind of okay with it. I I I expected them to be better. But in the long run, I had the standardized test that I had to give them at the end of the summer. Yep. So six weeks, every day, for a year long course, and it was honors. Mm. Um, and even though I used all these alternative methods, they still did fine. They still did fine on on the. Uh, but like, if our students had been put in that environment with somebody they didn't know at all. Um, with uh, a very alternative form of teaching, mm-hmm. nothing would have happened. Yeah, And so I look at the furniture situation as a, a parallel universe to, you know, if they had somebody that they didn't know. I mean, I've been there, this is my fourth year, and whenever I teach somebody I haven't taught before, Uh, particularly upperclassmen, um, I get the same kind of treatment I get when I first came, which Mm. was, let me see what I can get away with and how hard can I work at that.
0: You still get that from the kids that you've had all year, too. They still try to
1: push it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, usually about this time, though, things are starting. Like I've noticed my freshman classes, um, my very worst freshman class, uh, I lost my CTT. I don't have her anymore. Yeah. But all of a sudden, they're uh, starting to work. Really? Mm-hmm. They're starting to work.
0: Correlation or causation?
1: Um. Well, causation would be they got bad grades.
0: That's true. It is that time. of Yeah, it's true.
1: They got really bad grades. A lot of them, most of them got Ds. There was maybe one A, maybe two A's among that group. And... Uh, Lot a lot of D's and several F's. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, I think I failed like ten, eleven kids. I think I only gave out seven or eight A's.
1: In those last three weeks, I was doing nothing but reviewing work. Like, okay, oh, here, okay. you know, I we'd have five days of classes. Three of them would be new material. Two would be reviewing and making stuff up. Sure. And they wow, still that's, couldn't.
0: That's really nice. I'm not that nice. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but I teach freshmen, and the freshmen yeah, are they they're gotta different. Learn. They're really different. Yeah. Uh, no, I wasn't doing that with my older kids so much. They got a lot They just expected time. it. <laughs> Maybe, but they didn't get it. Um, they expected that rescue packet that they're
0: still asking. Oh for.
1: yeah. 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 Well, I think we kind of, we kind of stuck to our guns with that. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Anyway. Um, I just, I wonder about that. I, I see what is possible in some environments. Um, in terms of offering kids new and dynamic ways to learn, hmm. but uh, there has to be um, a really a, a strong consistency with it. You have hmm. to stick with it for a while. Um, and it has to be, I think it has to be kind of documented. Don't just throw it in there and say, hey, let's do this and see what happens. I think it needs to be thought out and planned and, that's you know, why, do it.
0: That's why I'm very curious to find out why she chose a first. I don't know if she knows I'm a first year, by the way. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that about me. But I'm very curious to see what was the motivation for for choosing me. Because she said in on my class like a handful of times, did she see something? That she was like, oh, this would be a good place to start. Maybe
1: because they are more active in your class because you do the stations and... They are moving around more, so they don't need that fixed environment mm. um I also think uh, although she came from a high school environment, you know she was at yeah a lot of our administrators are elementary school, and they want high schools to be like elementary schools and um and so that part of that environment is to um replicate kind of the learning centers, you know, that happen mm-hmm. in an elementary school, um, particularly a literacy yeah. environment. But I could tell you in terms of social studies, our students don't learn much social studies at all. Yeah, it's
0: entire like thematic units, and I still don't get them to remember half of the – it's all about the skill.
1: Well, that's pretty much where – our education system is gone, but
0: which honestly, and I I was thinking about it too, because you talked about like in the suburbs and things like that, teaching where we teach now, it's definitely made me a better teacher. Oh, you'll be a much better teacher. Yeah. Which excites me. But I was also thinking about it too. Like, sure. I kind of sometimes miss the students that were from where I student taught easier (laughs) Well, because I could push them even further Whereas now I'm trying to catch up my students, which both good, noble works to be doing. But I was thinking about when you said the standardized tests. At the end of the day, even if it wasn't for the SAT, I was still prepping all of those kids for the tests that every single student in the district was making. And I was being compared with, what's the word? The pro teachers, the veteran teachers that have been teaching this content for years. And if my numbers weren't up to snuff as a student teacher, that was frowned upon. That That looked bad, especially if... I was potentially looking to get work at that school, which I knew I wanted to be back in the city. One of the things that attracted me to the job when we were talking before I even got an interview, I think you might have looked at my resume and then the previous principal sent it along to you. But I was like, I think I can actually get a lot of autonomy. And you do give me a lot of autonomy as my department head Mm -hmm. where I can create the assessment. I can create the rubrics for it.
1: Yeah, you do a good job. (laughs) thanks you do (laughs) your your ideas and the way you lay things out seem really organized and uh logical and i like it i'm excited by it
0: i almost wish i could have a timeline with you ever see on the cta where it it lights up just a little red light for where you are that's what i want but with like always wanted
1: to put a timeline like on the top of my uh classroom, but it was just not having the time to, with my AP, I did that a little bit. We would create timelines for the eras that we were, and then add the vocabulary to it. But I know my husband and I were talking about this last night, about how ridiculous it is that doesn't have a standardized curriculum. Why don't they have, if what they want is this top-notch education for all kids, then why don't you have standardized curriculum Mm -hmm. that even if it's not exactly the same you have even you know not modules that you could choose from and you could choose to teach those things but they're all there all the resources are there all the leveled readings are there all the assessments that you want to see are there already we kind of have
0: that with civics i guess i do i do kind of like the freedom though with the u.s because i create it from scratch so I can do what I want to do. But I, it would be nice if there was something laid out that you could at least use as a, a roadmap that you can stray from or not.
1: Don't you always feel like you're having to create stuff out of thin air, though?
0: Yeah. Pretty Why much, should you have to do that? Pretty much every day.
1: Why should you have to do that?
0: Sometimes I do enjoy it. Other times it is stressful. I mean, but I can always pull from, like, shag or something, and it aligns with where I want to go with it, with my scope and sequence. Do
1: you find yourself having to um, design lessons and even modules or units geared on the kids that you have now
0: yes absolutely their skills and their abilities when i think back and sometimes it's as simple as all right i can only talk about the background for two or three minutes before i lose them that's the first modification i have to make but most of the time is spent modifying the sources i'll spend hours I'll just pull all the sources I want to do for a week, and then I spend hours modifying them and changing them.
1: Like when they tell us about the, uh, you know how we have this, uh, um, the perfect lesson where you're supposed to (laughs) do the, um, give the objective and the purpose, and then provide this background, whatever the background information is supposed to be, and then you target whatever the skill is going to be for that day, Mm -hmm. and then you have, then you model it for them, then you, all of you do it together, and then you have them do it on their own, right? This is our perfect lesson blueprint. format. Um, you know, in reality, how often do you get to do that?
0: Each day, you mean? Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think. Even in a week, how often do you get to do that? Honestly, a pretty good amount, though. Do you?
0: I don't necessarily, like, because kids come in late all the time, I don't always get that exposure to here's our objective, here's our... You know, skill. We're going to build all those mm-hmm. things, but I try to touch on it every time, just because I guarantee you half of them will be like, "I don't understand how to do this." Even if it's a chart that we've done a million times before, they see something new in front of them. They don't read the instructions and they say, "I don't know how to do it." Yeah, it's like starting over. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's my... not like it's building, right? So it's it's my greatest way of trying to curb that. And then the students that they're just annoyed, like, "Oh, I already know what to do." They get the reinforcement, I guess. Yeah. I'm sure if the network were to drop in randomly, they're not going to catch me doing it every single day because you don't need to every single day. No, no, it's, it's ridiculous. You'd waste time, but they want to see that.
1: Well, I can't remember what it was. Was it, it it was just recently some PD we had where we had that, you know, video we were watching.
0: This might have about, been the one I got to skip because oh, I was I was downtown for that other thing.
1: No, no, no. This was um the social studies one that we just went to. The literacy one.
0: Oh, yeah. And they showed that one teacher that was just getting them to regurgitate stuff from the previous day. Yeah.
1: And I'm thinking, I wonder how many of our kids would be able to do that.
0: Well, I don't think it was. Could
1: you do that with your students? No, absolutely not. Me neither.
0: I don't even know if that would be worthwhile, though. Like a a quick recap, Uh, sure. But she was, it was like, what, 15 minutes of recap? And then they started something new? That
1: was the expectation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't remember if it was for, for that PD.
1: My I mean my tactic is decide what skills I'm going to do. Decide uh what my method's going to be like what what kind of background information am I going to have them look at and do. Mm-hmm. Uh and how much time am I going to spend on background versus the actual skill I want them learning like which is probably document analysis mm-hmm. and then being able to use the document analysis in a writing piece. Right. Uh, Cuz those are always my skills. Um but I find that because they have so little background information at all, I end up spending a week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> trying to orient them?
1: Just getting them, yeah, uh, in a place where they are reasonably uh, comfortable when I say somebody's name that this person did these things. Mm. Or when I say, this is the scene, you know, here's, it's World War Two, and... Hitler's risen to power, and what are some of the things that we're going to expect to happen or just expect to see? Yeah, I mean, just they really don't know. It's almost if it's even if we spend a week going over. Yeah,
0: it. I'll, I'll even have like a roadmap on there too of dates and key people. Like when I did my mobilization unit. And I had like war, oh, World, the materials war I itself? World War This is World War Two. Okay, that's smart. I left it on one board the entire time, and there were still kids that were saying, "Oh, it's 1940, so that's World War One." I'm like, "No, look at the roadmap. That's been up there for almost a month now." That's the big advantage for me doing thematic units, is I don't have to worry about that causation necessarily, because we'll spend a couple days in a decade, then move to the next decade. So it's it's kind of chronological, but it's not. It's not the purpose of it. Like I don't talk about. We haven't gotten to the Great Depression yet, but we've covered World War One and Two, just because it's not part of that unit.
1: Have you asked uh, your students to reflect on broader questions from your units
0: at the end? Usually, we'll get there. But and how do they do? If they're if they were there for ninety percent of the days or more, they're fine. But half of my students are there three-quarters of the time or less, so they miss certain things and they never came in to check up on it because I'm not going to spend a whole day reviewing three days' worth for one student unless they come in outside of class.
1: There's some education gurus that would say that that's not worthwhile to do. You know, don't yeah. bother with that. They can just look that up and they can find that information, uh, that it's all about the skills and it's only the skills that they need to know. And and yet that is goes completely opposite of what history is, because history is about understanding context. Yeah, and quite honestly, even our, even our civic stuff that we do, it's all about building about who has power. Yeah. What is power? Uh, how is it used?
0: Sometimes I think that's all that we're doing every single day. It though. is.
1: <laughs> but because it's repetitive, yeah. And because it, it you repeat it. those themes over and over and over again. I'd been surprised. This last assessment when I looked at the, the stuff that they wrote, yeah. they were writing things that were drawing off of what we did at the beginning. Oh good. They made I know. those that's good. They made those connections. Yeah. Did they understand what we were doing right now? Mm, not so much, but <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I think we've gotten <laughs> off on that. a tangent a little bit. Um, no, that's
0: fine though. That's what that's what my podcast that's is. That's what it all is. <laughs> it's all about the tangents.
1: Okay. No,
0: I actually I remember I had a professor for it was German history. And his whole thing was he wanted us to break the mold of when you think Germany, stop thinking Hitler, Nazi Germany. Right. He wanted us to think before then and the culture of it and things like that. And I remember I went in to go see him one of the rare times that I ever went to see a professor because I was one of those skittish college students in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I remember he said something towards the end of the semester saying, do I care if you remember who William the Wise was and that source? I want you to get my main theme. And the skills of analyzing it like a historian, and that was the first time I'd ever heard that. Because when I was in high school, or even when I was in my freshman college classes, it was always think of the the storyline that it was we're about covering, the right. right? Which I liked too, actually, because my high school it was junior history, it was U.S. history. He was the first person that I I don't know what I'm sure other teachers had said it, but something clicked where he said don't think of it as memorizing these dates think of it as a story true it's just weird how there's it didn't resonate with me before it wasn't until he said that and then it wasn't until professor penny said i care about the skill and the overall idea which
1: well we're teaching eyes. kids much deeper analytical skills than what we learned um <laughs> yeah and you know i'm mean, i'm 20 years older than you and what I learned was the memorization of dates mm-hmm. and only the important things that happened, you know, and usually only the white powdered men, wig men, The correct. white powdered wig history, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't learn what analysis and history was till I got to graduate school. I mean, really, Ooh, okay. I didn't. Yeah, because even undergrad, I mean, I took American studies, and we did, we did some, we did do some. Um, social history because i looked at we looked at novels and then we tried to interpret oh like the, events
0: what is this doing yes as a, how is this a, a reflection
1: document. of its time yeah, yeah. we were reviewed we novels as documents as historical documents yeah. which was
0: i like that approach i've done that too. it was
1: really interesting i did like that about it um but then there was all the traditional history stuff too i mean i remember reading bernard balin uh, the peopling Ooh. of the americas I, love when, I know, but at the time I didn't like it too much. Well,
0: because he was very classical, but he actually had these really modern ideas about...
1: Yes, his interpretation of history was very modern. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also uh, very cutting edge about who was important in the Americas. But at the time I didn't understand it and I don't think I had a very good history teacher.
0: He's also a very alienating writer. He has You have to sift through. Some of his comments. He has the sentences. longest freaking sentences. <laughs> yeah. Which yes. is how I used to write when I was bullshitting in college.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to write those long papers. Yeah.
0: Like, oh, you need six pages? I got it. Don't worry. I'll have three big ideas and just skew it.
1: Yeah. I mean I I, I really started to appreciate reading history in graduate school because then I started to see that there wasn't just one version. Mm-hmm. You we would read about slavery. And we would read six authors, and they would all have different approaches to what was important in slavery. That's my
0: favorite approach to take when you're teaching stuff like that, though.
1: Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great. Um, but it was also very demanding. I tell the kids in in my honors classes, like when I was in graduate school, we had to read a book a week for a seminar, for a three-hour hour seminar class. I and I had... Um, four classes so I was reading four books a week how could you do that I was like well I didn't read it all I just skimmed through a lot of it that's true
0: it's the cold hard reality
1: just tried to pick out what I thought was important and then hope that I could contribute before being asked to contribute like I could jump in and contribute something
0: if it's part of the discussion that you're not familiar or comfortable with smart that's smart
1: always (laughs) always (laughs) thinking ahead (laughs) Yeah, um, but that, like, today, what we're asking our students to do is something I was never asked to do in high school, never. Yeah. I also
0: don't remember, the, like, middle or high school that much. It wasn't really till junior year that I remember True. what I was doing. I, I want to say I remember more textbooks than a primary source.
1: Definitely no primary sources. I mean, okay. the only primary source I remember reading was, like, in English, um, reading, uh... Beowulf, and yeah, um, you know, reading those those epic poems. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Did you do a Shakespeare unit? Oh, yes. That's when I fell asleep. I loved Shakespeare. I well, keep my. I think I think we've talked about this before. I had an English teacher; it was his last year before retiring, Mm. and he would just put on an audio book. This was a first period class, and it was during football season, so we were practicing till seven, eight o'clock at night, and then I had to do homework. Out like a light. Yeah, it was great. It was a great first period. (laughs) I'm sure if I were to go back, I would like it, though. I
1: I loved the the meter. Um, I had some pretty good teachers in high school, actually, Uh, Mm. especially history. uh, Not history, uh, English. And uh, I took a speech class. I really liked that speech class. She would make us memorize um, poetry, usually, but sometimes speeches. And then you'd have to perform it. Oh, oh. Yeah. And you'd have to go up nice. in front of the class and they were short, like Blake's Tiger Tiger Burning Bright, you know, we uh, I remember we all had to do it and everybody had to get up and do their little version of it.
0: I also be able to do different uh performances of it. Yes. Everybody
1: got up there and did a little different interpretation. Um hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really good. In fact I'm trying to make my seniors do that now. I'm trying to make them this is my this is my great uh idea for my seniors to try to keep them involved at all. <laughs> the class is just becoming more and more emaciated every day um that I told them that I wanted them to pick a civil rights activist that they're interested in hmm. to do research on it and to make a presentation and they're either gonna present it to another class.
0: Oh, you tell me or they were
1: going to present something uh, at the assembly.
0: Oh, because yeah, they're at this, they're doing that this month, That's right.
1: and um, and because there was this kid who used to, there was this kid in the life program, um, Ellie, who always used to get up there and give a Black History Month like a lecture, and he'd hmm. go up there and he'd have like probably almost five ten minutes at the mic where he'd just be reading some tidbits about black history. He was a really smart guy. Did it engage the other kids though? Kinda, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. you know, everybody loved Ellie because he was so Sure. He was so out there and he was just optimistic and he was a great kid. Um our students our students um actually don't make fun of those kids at all.
0: They at the Christmas uh assembly. Dancing with them and stuff when they're doing. Yeah, they don't. They're. uh, That's nice.
1: That's one of the things I love about our student body is that they're generally very accepting, sometimes too accepting of the outliers, right? Yeah, when
0: you're talking. Uh, behavioral like, choices that yeah. they make. Yeah.
1: yeah. The, some of the choices they make is like, that's not okay. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be condoning that. What they're doing here is not good for everybody.
0: But you are right though. There is that genuine acceptance which is really, not, and they kind of have to because it's such a small population of students. But yeah, I do. I. But
1: then what becomes the norm is bad sometimes.
0: Yeah, for the other students that are on the other end where they know better and they try to yep It'd create cool. a reputation yeah uh-huh. oh i within the first day or two i got called a bitch by some student i didn't even have <laughs> <laughs> welcome
1: yeah right yeah
0: it's good times um yeah i didn't even have like a sometimes i'll, I'll get like a, a witty comeback or something like that if like a student like playfully says something at the time i just said why that, that's all i had i couldn't even think of anything why? at the time <laughs> yeah
1: yeah. But yeah. Actually I learned a new little phrase about that's awfully extra.
0: Oh, nice. That's like you're doing too much. Now that's, that's extra. awfully extra. Katie likes to say that. She'll yeah. uh she'll say like on my to-do list the most or extra. That's what she likes to say. But that's in a more positive context yes. of course. Yes. Right, right. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: um and I won't say the name of the student, but like the third or fourth day of school, I'll just bleep it goes who's gonna oh. fuck the bitches up and then he he does the two thumbs and he goes this guy and i was like take five in the hallway like
1: he's special
0: yeah yeah it's been a big back and forth um in terms of that stuff
1: he's you know he's evolving to the point where he's going to have to be placed someplace else
0: yes but there's for some reason there's some roadblock that i'm facing where they think they're doing him a favor by keeping him here and it, he isn't learning a damn thing. He got a 26% in my class and that was his best grade.
1: Oh, that's not what it is. It's uh, oh, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's um there's protocols they mm. have to follow. Um because his IEP says least restricted environment. They have to follow that. Well,
0: actually no, he doesn't he doesn't have that. He only has a 504. And so that's the reason that they claim that they can keep him, which doesn't make any sense uh, because if he
1: oh you didn't want to know why that too is well, because because of the family
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, the parent doesn't want and they aren't they haven't really shown up
1: savvy enough to be well uh, distant
0: and they're also connected with people in the district, oh are they yeah they are uh they? I'll bleep this out too, but uh they have an in with oh gross, yep exactly.
1: I don't I don't even know what to think of it <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he even knows who I am and I have seen nothing that makes him stand out in mm. my opinion. In fact, I found out that the school that he was at um one of my freshmen, my current freshmen, I told I told our principal this. One of our current freshmen He told me that he uh, skipped a grade and graduated. I was like, really? And I'm thinking to myself, why would they do that? Because you can barely write. And when you read, you get things all mixed up. Mm -hmm. Well, then upon further inquiry, I found out that uh, he didn't skip a grade. He was just matriculated because he was aging out. And so they Uh do this thing in the summer. They do this thing called a bridge program where kids go to a summer program for four weeks because they have failed eighth grade. Maybe they've failed seventh grade. But they got to get they gotta move them forward. It's social hmm. promotion. And they say that they, you know, um, the gal who used to be our uh, English chair uh, used right. to run the bridge program over the summer. And kids would come in and she'd walk them through You know uh, their paces. They weren't learning anything. They certainly didn't meet standards. They didn't have to take a test to test out to say. Oh, yes. They went through the
0: motions, so they went through
1: the motions, so they got the check, and now they're freshmen. Well, it's Hmm. like our in our school, we have lots of kids that don't have credits to be sophomores, but they're sophomores. They're definitely sophomores. We do not hold them back. Now, the charter schools will hold them back,
0: which they should. It's just a disservice to them in the long run.
1: Well, but then our district says no. That's just punishing the kid, and that's making them feel bad. And if you make them feel bad, they're going to drop out, and they're going to feel like losers. And I was like, but your solution is not good for these children. Yeah, that's not fair. I don't care what you say. You know, I I don't want to be overly punitive with students, but. If you don't hold some standards, then the standards are completely meaningless.
0: So that was episode 22. If you want to hear the rest of my conversation with Mary, where we talk about a number of topics, including funny stories and other issues in the district, feel free to check us out next week for episode 23. If you haven't already, please make sure you check us out on iTunes. we also on Stitcher and Google Play. Rate and review. Spread the word. Those are all good things to help me out. Make sure you check out that hashtag two pods a day. They're starting a new promotion pretty soon, so you won't see Glassroom Brew, but you'll still see plenty of other indie podcasts. So, as always, glass dismissed.